Welcome back to SportsCenter Not Top 10. We'll go to the play-by-play announcer for their take on the situation. All right, and here we have Nick coming down the stairs on an early Monday morning. He's really been putting the reps in lately, and it's shown in his recent performance. Let's look to see how he'll do this morning. He comes down the stairs... He rounds the quarter and, oh, he stubs his toe. It's not a good start for the reigning champ of Monday mornings. Let's look at that in slow-mo. Yeah, you can see it right there. You can see the choice words he uses as he stubs his big toe. It's going to leave a mark, but he's a pro in the situation. He'll look to shake it off. All right, let's see what he's about to do. He's, he's okay. He's going for cereal this morning. He's going for cereal. Oh, Rice Krispies? No, it's, it's a fake. It's a fake. He's going for the cornflakes. Awesome. He's got the bowl set up. He's got the cornflakes in. Excellent technique. Look at that form. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Greatness at its finest. Okay, he turns to the to the refrigerator and he's going for the milk. Oh, no. What? What a turn of events. I cannot believe it. As he is pouring the milk, he has hit the cornflakes at the worst possible angle and the milk is spraying all over the countertop. But he can recover. There's a paper towel roll within his reach. He grabs a piece with his left hand but his right hand, still holding the milk jug, somehow manages to knock the bowl onto the ground. Oh man, this is unrecoverable. We've never seen him like this before. It almost looks like he's about to cry, but, but wait. He pulls himself together. He's realized that there, in fact, is no use in crying over spilled milk. A true sign of a champion. He'll look to do better tomorrow morning. And live from South Carolina, it's Cardboard Box Seats. Cardboard Box Seats. Play that saxophone. Have you ever heard of an armchair quarterback? It means someone has an opinion but doesn't necessarily participate in the sport. But it also means that they care enough about the sport to discuss it and try to make it better. In our basketball world, we call this cardboard box seats. We see the game from afar like true fans, but we always show up with the same intensity as if we were at the games ourselves. We don't have the money or the connections like the other talking heads on TV, but we do have some ideas which might seem too out there, and honestly, we've got opinions which might change. Either way, we have fun, so come and watch the game with us from our cardboard box seats. Hey everyone, it's Gabe here with Cardboard Box Seats. Nick's here. Awesome. We're talking with Chris Denary today. He's the uh, the play-by-play announcer for the Indiana, Indiana Pacers. Chris, what's going on? Hey, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. So tell us just a little bit about your career. Kind of give us the scenic route, if you will. Um, tell us how you got where you are today. Well, uh, you know, it's a, uh, I'm not one of those that, uh, you know, went right to the NBA as, at a young age. Uh, I guess the best way to describe it is I grew up the son of a high school basketball coach. And so when I was four or five years old, six years old, I was sitting on a bench. And uh, I was fortunate enough to play for my father in high school. I've always loved the game of basketball. Uh, was fortunate to go to a Division three school. Uh, just west of Indianapolis called Wabash College in Crawfordsville, where I played basketball. But I also um, really thought a lot about, you know, wanting to, to, to stay in sports. And so I, I guess I sort of crossed coaching off my list, seeing maybe all the hassles that my dad went through. And uh, my dad directed me when I was a freshman at orientation over to a table that 
um, had a radio station on campus, he said, you know, I think you'd be pretty good at that. And part of the reason was when I was a kid, you know, we didn't have video games, but we had tabletop, Stratomatic, all those kinds of games. I used to play uh, Stratomatic card games, whether it was football, basketball, or baseball in my room, and I'd have a tape recorder, and I'd do play-by-play into the tape recorder. So my dad thought, hey, you know, you did this when you were a kid. Why don't you see if you're any good at it? So from day one on campus, I started uh, at the radio station. I became the radio voice of the football team for three years. And, um, you know, long story short, I just kept working at it. And I started doing high school games 35 years ago for $5. And, uh, you know, a big break for me. I became the voice of Butler basketball back in 1989. I did that for 17 years. Um, in 2000, uh, the, the, the Pacers organization brought in a WNBA team. And they made me the radio and TV voice of that franchise. Um, all during that time, uh, I did the post-game show for the Indianapolis Colts radio network. I did the uh, high school state finals on uh, radio and TV in Indiana. So, you know, I guess long story short, um, I was very fortunate to build a brand in central Indiana. And when the Pacers uh, TV job uh, came open in 2006, uh, fortunately, I was the one that they, uh, you know, selected, and here we are, 14 years later. I'm still here, and hope to do it, uh, you know, until I retire. That's awesome. You, you've kind of done. Sounds like a little bit of everything. I have, and you know, one of the things, uh, you know, I wasn't a full-time broadcaster for the longest period of time because when I was hired at Butler in 1989, I was their first director of sports marketing. So my main job was to sell tickets and sponsorships and, you know, do everything that was affiliated with the athletic program from a revenue standpoint. And the caveat was that I was also the radio voice of the team. And so back in those days, when you talked about putting Butler basketball on radio, I had my hand in every bit of it. I sold all the sponsorships. Um, I coordinated the, uh, you know, the dubbing of the commercials. I mean, you know, I mean, it was me. <laughs> there was nobody else. And, and so I, I think I have a real appreciation for what goes into, um, you know, putting something together because I did it all by myself for, for so long. And so uh, the opportunity that I got 14 years ago to, to do this, um, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, my job is creating score sheets and talking about games on television. Who wouldn't want that job? And uh, I've been very fortunate to, to be able to do that. But like I said, it wasn't easy. Um, you know, I sort of stair-stepped my way up. Um, you know, there are a number of talented young guys in the business now that, you know, graduate from college, get an opportunity, ESPN, Fox, and boom, they've got a great job. I wasn't that fortunate, and uh, but I really appreciate uh, how I've been able to do it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, being able to to build your way up definitely gives it more of an appreciation than, than jumping right into it. No question. And, and I think you've got to have, you know, for me, um, I've got a great spouse. My wife has been, you know, tremendous. Uh, we've been married 35 plus years. We have three boys. We're high school sweethearts. And so um, we made all the decisions that we made together. Um, you know, when I had opportunities to, you know, do all the things that I've done, because it does, uh, you know, for a lot of those times, it takes you away from your family. Um, maybe not traveling back in those days, but you're doing those things knowing full well that you might miss some things along the road. So we made sure that we worked together and in, in how we decided that we would do things. And, and I can say it, it you know, it, it worked out very, very well for us. Yeah. 
So what does a typical day in the life of a play-by-play announcer look like? Well, um, this time of year, I like to tell people once the season starts, uh, you don't, you know, somebody, I'll go into Starbucks and get a coffee and, uh, you know, one of the baristas who I've gotten to know say, hey, what's what's going on for you on the weekend? And I'm like, well, I've got a game on Friday and a game on Sunday and I'll be prepping on Saturday. So at this point of the year, uh, you know, weekends don't really exist. Uh, potential days off exist. But in, in the course of where we are now with where the season has started, uh, for about the first uh, probably 20 days of the season, we either have a game every other day or we have a game in a back-to-back situation. So there are really no days off. Um, as we're taping this, uh, I flew into Charlotte on uh, Monday afternoon. We left at 2. I'm sitting in my hotel room uh, really doing a bulk, the bulk of my preparation the night before the game. So, you know, get my score charts ready, uh, watch some video, uh, you know, read up on the Charlotte Hornets and how they've gotten off to a 3-3 three and three start. So I'll do a lot of that work uh, on Monday night. On Tuesday, I'll get up, uh, try to get a workout. Uh, the team will have a shoot-around at about 10.30. Uh, I'll go to that shoot-around, sit at the at the scorer's bench and work on my uh, score chart, my computer, keeping my eye watching shoot-around just to see if there are any uh, details I need to know. Uh, the Pacers at this point have a number of injuries so that we know uh, what the starting lineup will be. Uh, get back to the hotel, try to have lunch, and then spend another two, three hours of, of prep. Um, head over to the arena about 4, 4.30, have a production meeting, uh, rehearse the game open at about 6, go on to the pregame show at 6.30, tip off at 7, uh, game's over at about 9.30, do the postgame show through about 10, um, head back to the locker room, change, uh, get to the airport about 11, maybe 11.15, fly. Uh, we'll get back at somewhere. Uh, I'll get home tomorrow night somewhere around 1 or 2 in the morning, and then we've got another game on Wednesday that night in Indianapolis. And so all that work that I just did for the Charlotte game, I'll try to condense into Wednesday during the day uh, getting ready for that game on Wednesday night. So uh, I love the work. I love the prep. Um, I mean, the beauty is, is here on this Monday night, I'll have the TV on with an NBA game on. I have my laptop on, you know, during the, the, the latter part of October, I'd sit in my hotel room and watch a World Series game, have an NBA game on. Uh, so there are definite benefits um, to to what I have to do. But it is a lot of work. I, I think I think the misnomer is, is that you just show up and talk. And that's not true. Um, you try to do as much preparation as you can uh, so that you have the relevant information that the viewer needs or wants to know. So are you having to do that for every game, like yeah. both home yeah. and away? Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we do 81 games. So uh, absolutely. I mean, there's a certain level of preparedness that I believe that I need to have. Um, and, and in some instances, maybe you overdo it. But the, the chart that I build um, has what I feel like the necessary information for that night's show. But I necessarily won't use half of it. I mean, half of it just goes unused. It, it's Guys, it's sort of like studying for a test. And you just you study and study and study and study. And then you take the test and go, wow, that, that really was pretty easy. I, I overstudied. But you went in prepared. And that's, I think, a little bit how you have to prepare for a, a game broadcast. You have to understand certain things could happen. They might not happen, but you have to be ready nonetheless. So doing all that research, there's definitely a work 
kind of aspect that you have to put into this kind of enjoyment of basketball. But what has been like your your most favorite game to call or which game got you the most fired up that you were able to do the play-by-play for? Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, after 30-some-odd years, it, it's sort of hard. But, you know, I hearken back to my Butler days as Butler was building his program in 2003, going to uh, the Sweet 16 for the first time, beating Mississippi State and Louisville um, on a Thursday and a Saturday to advance to the Sweet 16. Uh, having been at Butler since 1989 and watching the program build, those were monumental games. Uh, one of the great games of all time that was a loss when I was doing Butler was in 2000. They lost in the first round to Florida on a Mike Miller shot at the buzzer. And that was a Florida team that went on to the national championship game and got uh, beat by uh, Michigan State. Um, I've had a lot of great Pacer games over the years. I mean, just last year, um, it was my birth, my, 57, uh, my 58th birthday. And uh, the Pacers beat the Lakers and LeBron James by like 40 points. I mean, maybe one of the most enjoyable games I've ever done. Oh, yeah. Um, So I've done over a thousand games now on television for the Pacers. Um, I did 500 or so WNBA games with the Fever. I did 500 or so games with Butler. I've done countless uh, high school state championship games. Um, You know, I'd have to probably go through and list a top 10 or 20 and I'm probably still forgetting some games because I've done so many of them. Yeah, that's fair. So just being fans of the sport, I mean, being able to be that close to all these players and just watch the games from such a sideline, I'm sure that that's definitely got to be a thrill too. Oh, there's no question. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess the one thing is now I'm 58 years old and I could be all these players' dads now. You know, it, it maybe wasn't like that when I started, but. Um, you know, the, the young talent in this league, uh, what, what these guys can do at 20, 21, 22 years old, the size, uh, I remember telling somebody, I, you know, Paul George played for the Pacers for all those years. He's six ten and a two guard and can handle the ball and can shoot the three. He's six ten. Um, I would have never thought that when I was growing up that you'd see players being able to do the things that they can do at the size they can do it. And so, yeah, I have a front row seat every night watching the best in the world, and I don't take that for granted. Oh, yeah. So this summer you guys got to go to India and do a preseason game um, there. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and being the first team to play in India and the first team to win in India? Yeah, what's interesting is, I don't know if you know this, but I didn't go. Now, I have been to India. I was I, I went to India two years ago and met with all their broadcasters, uh, sort of laying the groundwork uh, for uh, the experience. But Fox made the decision uh, in the summer that Quinn Buckner and I, my partner, would not go to India, and we would call it from the, the studio in St. Louis. So I was sitting across from Bush Stadium in St. Louis calling that game. But I had been to India before, so I understood uh, what our team was going through. They were staying in the exact same hotel that I stayed in two two years ago. Uh, So it was a great opportunity. I I have been blessed to travel all over the world because of basketball. I've been to China with the Pacers. I've been to Taiwan. I've been to the Philippines. Uh, Two out of three summers uh, in the last five years, I've been to South Africa with my partner, Quinn. Uh, We broadcast the NBA uh, exhibition games, uh, the Africa games over there. I've been to London. So, I mean, the experience that I've had overseas uh, has been outstanding. And uh, for the NBA to take its game to India, I mean, it's a burgeoning country as far as the nba is concerned i think they i I think over the next 10 years 
Um, it's supposed to overtake China as the most populated country in the world. Basketball may never you know, reach the heights of cricket or soccer in India, but, but it's growing and more and more kids are starting to play the game. So it's just very important for people in, in those countries to, to see these players up close and personal. And I think it gives the league a lot more credibility. And now when people tune in in India to watch the NBA, uh, they just have a better appreciation and understanding of it. Oh, yeah. So you said you helped lay the groundwork two years ago. What all What all went into that? Well, I was asked by the NBA to go over and meet with their broadcasters. And so what they had done the year prior is Ian Eagle, who I think is one of the best all-around radio television broadcasters in the business, had done a conference call. Uh, back in 2016 with all of these broadcasters. And one of the things the broadcasters mentioned, they said, we'd really like to have somebody over here. So almost like a boot camp, uh, because all of these broadcasters were very talented in their own right, but they pretty much did soccer and cricket. And, and there's a sport called Kabaddi that is a little bit like wrestling and tag that is very prominent in India. Well, that's what they are used to. So they didn't, even though some of these guys were calling NBA games, they didn't quite understand what they were doing. So I was asked by the NBA to go over for about a week and basically teach them the art of broadcasting basketball. And so that's what I did. And it was uh, it was a really cool experience to um, you know see these people and and learn about them and and just help them understand what the NBA and the game of basketball was all about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the NBA is definitely make it's it's becoming a game, and they've said it before. It's a it's a game without borders. But the more more we watch, the more we see. Like it's in China, it's in the United Kingdom, um, India, all over the world. They even have the they're starting a league in Africa now as well. You kind of mentioned this earlier. You mentioned when Paul George was on the Pacers. Uh, just out of curiosity, throughout your career uh, with the Pacers, who's been one of your favorite players to just watch? Oh, there's no question. Paul was very talented. I, I'm really enjoying it. I've only seen him for, for six regular season games and, and four preseason games, but I think Malcolm Brogdon is the real deal, and I think he's going to be an outstanding pacer. And when this team gets Victor Oladipo back, uh, I think look out. I think this is going to be one of the most dynamic backcourts in the NBA. David West was an outstanding player for the Pacers back in their run. Uh, 2012, 13, 14, when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and were knocked out by LeBron in the Heat. Uh, one of my all-time favorites, he's an Indianapolis native, George Hill, uh, who currently plays with Milwaukee. Um, just had a really good relationship with George and, and really enjoyed being around him. So, I mean, that's the one thing that when you're a part of a team, um, and I think it, it, it goes back to me growing up as the son of a coach, I just I just relish those relationships that you can build within your organization and i think the pacers have an outstanding organization um i know they haven't won a championship but they have been one of the most consistent playoff franchises over the last 30 years in the nba so that that's special to me um i enjoy being a part of a team and that's what television is all about it's not just uh when you're doing radio it's really just about you um, but when it's television, there's graphics coordinators and camera people and producers and directors. Uh, it sort of takes a village to put a game on the air. And so I really, I really appreciate that as well. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with kind of saying Malcolm Brogdon has the real deal for sure. I think when Bucks start, the Bucks fans started to talk about how, oh yeah, we lost Brogdon, but we were able to get Kyle Korver and Robin Lopez, and uh, the the list goes on. But I don't, I I think the the Bucks will begin to miss Brogdon a little bit more than they're going to let on. Well, I think here's the deal: they're they're built for right now. They and I don't blame them with where Giannis is in his career, and they want to make sure they hold on to Giannis. I think they felt like. We have to win right now. So uh, by adding a Corver and retaining George Hill, they're built for now. They would have loved to have kept Malcolm Brogdon, but the price, his price tag was a little pricey for them. I think where the Pacers are, yeah, they're, they're built for now, but they're also built for the next two to three to four years. If you look at their roster now with the extension to Sabonis, They've got Turner under contract. They've got Warren under contract. They've got Lamb under contract. They've got Goga Bataze, the rookie, under contract. Oladipo, Brogdon. Um, this is a core group of six or seven guys that you're going to be able to move forward with over the next three years. That's probably not the case in Milwaukee. And so they had to make the decision that they had to make and, and thus far. And I think it's going to really pay off for the Pacers. So you mentioned a lot of the um, the recent signees that the Pacers have had in this kind of this wild off season um, this past summer. Besides Brogdon, which newcomer on the team have you seen kind of make the the biggest impact? I think T.J. Warren um, has has really stepped up, and and I say this not from a scoring standpoint, but from a defensive angle. Um, he's asked to do things that he didn't do in Phoenix, and I think thus far. He has responded pretty well. He is averaging a couple steals per game. Uh, His deflection total is high. There are expectations that Nate McMillan and his staff have that you are a two-way player. You're not just a scorer. You've got to defend as well. And T.J. Warren's a terrific scorer. Uh, Sunday night against the Bulls, he had 26. Uh, He is very capable of putting the ball in the basket. But the Pacers need him to play defense. Not sure that Phoenix asked him to play defense uh, in his first few years in the NBA. So I've been very impressed with with what he's been able to do on the other end of the floor, not just on the offensive end. So you guys right now you're you're three and three. Um with you guys are three and three right now with the last three being the wins. Um how have you how have you seen kind of a shift to, to more of the winning side of things and how do you think they'll be able to keep keep that streak alive, especially going on the road? Yeah, I think it's been defense. Um, I mean, this is a franchise a year ago was number one in scoring defense. I think it was fourth in field goal defense. Uh, it's Achilles heel laid, especially when Oladipo got hurt, was they, they just couldn't score. Um, in, in the playoff series with Boston, they only averaged 91 points per game. And you can't win in the NBA scoring 91 points. So um, they needed more offense. I think they've gotten that. They won on Sunday night against Chicago without Oladipo, who's out for a while, as we all know. Uh, Miles Turner's out with a sprained ankle, and DeMontis Sabonis, who's averaging a double-double, was out um, with a calf strain. So from a year ago, there was 50 points sitting on the bench. Um, So they won it last night with defense. Um, It's a Chicago team that should be better with Zach Levine, but I thought the Pacers did a really good job of taking them out of what they wanted to do and kept them pretty much at arm's length the entire game. It was anywhere from an 8-16 to point lead for most of that game, and I thought that was pretty impressive because the Pacers started Goga Bataze, who's a rookie, 
uh, 20 years old. Uh, they started Jakar Sampson, who was in the G League last year, played his last four games in Chicago. In fact, all five guys, guys who started uh, on Sunday night for the Pacers, weren't even on the roster a year ago, and yet here they are, you know, playing pretty well and beating beating Chicago. So, who knows what's going to happen as the season marches along? Uh, I think this all along could be a really good team. I think it's a playoff team again, uh, but they also are battling some significant injuries here early in the year that sort of uh, you know wreaks havoc on what your potential record could be. Can you talk a little bit about the role that both Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis have on this team? They've emerged as some of the team's playmakers in Oladipo's absence, and I know that you already talked about how both of those are kind of, those players are, they're battling injuries right now, but it definitely seems that they've, they've begun to work together very, very well. Yeah, their numbers are, are, are better. I mean, a couple of years ago in, in year one, when they were on the floor together, it, it, it didn't quite work. Uh, last year, I think they played 400 minutes for the year divided by 80. That's about five minutes a game, so that's not a lot. But their numbers trended in a positive direction. And this year when they've been on the floor together and they're starting now together for the first time, I think their numbers have been good. Uh, so many people have have painted it as an either-or. Um, you, you, you can't have both out there on the floor. I, I'm a believer that I want to see it. And we still haven't seen it because of the injuries. I still am a believer that you can play these two bigs together, that their skills complement each other. Uh, Miles, more of a perimeter player on offense and a rim protector on defense. Sabonis is going to pound you in the paint on the offensive end. The question is, can he guard the stretch fours on the defensive end? I want to see it. I'm a big believer in those two guys. I think they want it to happen. They're really good friends. Um, so I, I'm really bullish on it, and uh, I just I just think it can work. I definitely think that having the two on the court at the same time uh, definitely plays in uh, the Pacers. They It, it plays well for them, um, I think. Um, what are some of the biggest obstacles that will get in the way of the Pacers making it past the first round of the playoffs? Well, they haven't done it in four years. Uh, that's been disappointing. They lost to Toronto four years ago in seven. That they lost. Uh, they lost. Uh, they got swept by the the Cavaliers. Then lost in seven to the Cavaliers, and they got swept last year by Boston. So they haven't been out of the first round for a while. Uh, I think, guys, this year the NBA is as deep as it's been. Um, I think there's a lot of parity. I think you're seeing it here early in the year. The Charlotte team, the Pacers are playing on Tuesday night. They're already three and three and coming in from a West Coast trip where they won twice. Uh, Phoenix, uh, without Aiton, is four and two. Uh, they were projected to be a very poor team in the West. Um, I just think there's a lot of talent in this league, and you've got to be ready on a night nightly basis to play or you'll get beat. Um, I think it's uh, important. Um, to win in the first round, to give you the best bet, you've got to have one of the top four records so you have a home court advantage so that if necessary, you have a game seven at home in front of your fans to advance. Uh, could be tough because Philadelphia and Milwaukee are, are supposed to be one and two. Defending champ Toronto should be good again. Boston. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I definitely... I'm very bullish on what the Pacers have done, if not for this year. Uh, I think over the next two to three years, they can be really, really good. Gabe actually has you guys going to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. Oh, you do? I do. Uh, 
I'm really, really confident in uh, how the Pacers, especially with all their off-season pickups, specifically Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren. Um, but I, especially when Oladipo comes back, it's going to be interesting for me to see, or I guess for for the entire league to see how he kind of recovers from that that ruptured quad. But if he he comes back to the explosiveness that he was before, I think the Pacers have a fantastic chance. Well, I think they're. I think. Uh, I think he's. He's the wild card. I mean, how does Victor come back? I think we all think that probably next year is when you really will see the return of the real Victor Oladipo. Um, we still don't know when he's going to come back. Does he come back next month in December? Is it January? Is it February? Is it around the All Star break? I do know he is. You know, doing a lot of five on five work, and so that's good. He's he's taking more contact. Um, I think he. He gives this team something um, that they don't have right now. Um, but but how how does he regain who he is? Because his greatest strength, I think, is his explosiveness and his agility. And that might not be all the way back uh, when when he first comes back. Uh, but uh, I like what you're thinking. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I have them going to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I work for the team, but I sure would like to see it happen. <laughs> um, so thinking about like long road trips, just away games, and then even the trip to India, um, how do you see firsthand, like I'm sure it's pretty exhausting for the players, how do you see the impact it has on their health and performance? Well, there was a great story on ESPN.com a week or so ago about the sleep study and, and all the time you spend on planes. And all I can tell you is, is, Last week, we had our first trip of the year, and it was a six-day trip, and twice we got uh, either home or into a city between 2 and 3 o'clock, and um, I know it hit me pretty hard. Um, it, it takes me probably about a month of travel before I sort of get used to it and you get into rhythm, so there's no question. It's uh, I always hear people say, uh, well, they make a lot of money. Well, you know, money doesn't relate to how your body um, handles those kinds of things. Um, now these guys are as well conditioned as anybody in, in the world, but it still can be a grind no matter if you're staying in the best hotel or you're on a charter flight. Um, lack of sleep is going to affect you. So the one thing I think is the NBA has done a really good job in limiting back-to-backs. Um, the Pacers only have 11 this year. When I started 14 years ago, I think one year we had 23, um, there are no stretches where you play four games in five days. Uh, that's a positive. So there are just a lot of things that the NBA has done to manage those things. We're, we're smarter now than we were 15 years ago. We didn't know any better. But with all the studies that have been done, I think they, they really work hard to make, sure, to make sure that they can put these players in the best situation possible. Yeah, I agree. Especially like with this off season, we've kind of seen like mental health, like all the awareness and stuff arise for that with players coming out like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan. And then now we'll have counselors on each team, which I mean, is is amazing. So who knows, like in the next five or 10 years, if you'll have long road games and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the one thing you have to do is you have to be smart. You have to manage. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm 58 years old. I'm not 38 anymore. And so I've got to make sure I get my rest because I'm performing as well, though I'm not out on the floor to anchor a two and a half to three hour telecast where you're talking that entire time. It takes a lot out of you. 
So uh, you have to you have to take care of your body. I, I'm no different than a player uh, from that standpoint. So going back to kind of the road trips and the away games. So you travel with the team. Uh, which away games do you look forward to and why? And that, that could be based on like the city where you're going to or the, the, the players that you enjoy seeing on the other teams or even just the, the stadium or the arena in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got to know so many people throughout the league. Um, so, you know, seeing all the different people um, that I see, I mean, it's good. Sometimes they're fans uh, that live in those cities that are fans of the Pacers, and that's cool. Um, I, I enjoy where I am today. I'm in Charlotte. I think Charlotte has a really neat downtown. We stay right next to the arena. Uh, I sort of judge things, guys. I'm pretty simple. Uh, is there a good coffee shop? Basically, is there a Starbucks close? Is there a CVS or a Walgreens within walking distance? Is there a decent place to get something to eat? Is there a deli or whatever? So I, I'm pretty simple. Um, I've seen pretty much all of the sites now in my 14 years. I've run up the stairs of the, the museum in Philadelphia. I've seen those sites, and, and I enjoy uh, going to all these venues. There's, there's nothing like after a game uh, in Washington, D.C., in the bus ride to the airport, uh, going past and seeing the Capitol lit up or seeing the White House. Um, those are all neat experiences that maybe I wouldn't have if I wasn't doing this. Um, it's January and it's super cold in the Midwest in Indianapolis. And we have a road trip that takes us to San Francisco, LA and Phoenix. And so now in January, I'm out where the weather's in the sixties or the seventies. Um, so I, I just sort of look at it that every opportunity I have to visit another city in this country, um, I enjoy it. There's a speaking of coffee. I mean, right down the road from you guys in Charlotte, there's a there's a good coffee shop, Amelie's. I think is how you pronounce oh, it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, we no. I, I think I'm gonna try to go to, there for breakfast tomorrow. We passed it on the bus ride in. Yeah, it's only a couple of blocks from our hotel, so I, I think I need to get up and and go do that tomorrow morning. Oh yeah. So just being, I mean, to me, it'd be pretty surreal just like being on like being able to be around a lot of stars and. It, you're obviously very passionate about what you're doing. So being able just to do what you love every day and get, get paid for it. Like one big thing for me would be like, what, what was it like having Larry bird around the office and stuff like that when, when he was there and did you have any interaction with him? Yeah. He's, and he's still around. He's still a consultant. So we see Larry from time to time. And, and I will say this, I'm, I'm still a little bit in awe when I'm around Larry bird. I'm 58 years old. I mean, he's, he's iconic and uh, he's, He's a, uh, you know, a terrific person. Uh, he's a very quiet person. Uh, when you get to know him a little bit, um, you know, he's a little bit different than maybe his persona in public. But uh, I, I still, I, I, I'll tell you this, guys, I'm still pretty much in awe. Sometimes I'm on an elevator with Larry Bird in my head. I'm going, I'm on an elevator with Larry Bird. <laughs> I can't believe this. Um, but uh, I guess it's one of those things that, that I've gotten used to over the years. But, but I'm one of those guys, too, that, I can be the fan guy too. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big music guy and you guys are in South Carolina and one of my favorite bands of all time, Hootie and the Blowfish, Darius Rucker. Um, and so Darius Rucker, I'm (laughs) people have accused me of being a fanboy around Darius and I've gotten to know Darius a little bit. So I see these, these unbelievable NBA players and stuff and I've covered the NFL and they become just regular guys, but I'm around Hootie and the Blowfish and it's like, wow, this is Hootie and the Blowfish. So uh, it's all about how you put things into perspective. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
So if you had to give some advice to anyone, any of our listeners out there who are thinking about like either going into broadcasting or just sports in general, um, just not, not the athletic side of things, but more, more the behind the scenes or broadcasting, what would, what would some advice be that you would give to them? Well, I think the, the key is you, you have to get as much practical experience as you can. Um, you know, if you're in college, uh, the academics is absolutely important. But while you're doing that, you need to have real world experience. And so I think however you get that through an internship, a part time job, whatever. Um, and then in, in whatever you're doing, if you're uh, an on air person like me, a talent or if you're a photographer, or if you're a cameraman, or if you're a director, you have to get reps. You have to get uh, work. Um, and, and there's no better work um, if you're on the athletic side of doing it at a high school game. Um, if you're not working in athletics, but you're working in music, you're running an audio board for a concert in a bar or whatever. I, I just think you have to have practical experience in and around your education so that you can show people that you've done things. And then the other thing, you've got to be connected. You've got to get to know people um, because there are going to be a lot of people interested in the, the job that you're after. Uh, back in the day when I was hiring people for specific jobs, I used to tell them, I go, look, there's going to be six or seven of you that are equal, absolutely equal. You have the same amount of uh, experience. You have the, the same amount of education. But there's going to be one of you that I'm going to know through somebody else. And that person, if all is equal, is probably going to get the job because they're connected to me from somebody else. So I, I think that's that's very important as well. Networking is very, very important in uh, this day and age and kind of the occupation side of things for sure. Definitely agree with you on that. So now we're going to sort of shift to a more kind of a lighter side of topics, not talk about specifically the, um, the, the pacers or anything like that. We're just going to ask you some fun questions and they're going to be um, kind of on the spot. Would you rather questions? All right. So um, recently, and by recently, I mean within the last week, Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid got into a little tussle. Um, so if you, for whatever reason, happen to get into a fight, who would you rather have? Who would you rather have their back? Would you rather have Carl Anthony Towns have your back or Joel Embiid? I think I'd go with Joel. Uh, I think he's a little bit crazy, and I think I'd feel a little bit safer with Joel. Plus, he's bigger, so I'll take Joel Embiid. That's fair. That is that's fair. All right. Would you rather have a healthy Oladipo only in the playoffs or all season long? Just regular season. Sorry, just regular season. I think I think I need him in the regular season. Uh, I, uh, I I think it's really really hard to uh, all of a sudden miss an entire season, be ready to go for the playoffs. So I'd rather have him for the regular season. Very interesting. So would you rather have a peak Michael Jordan back in the league or a peak Kobe Bryant? Michael Jordan. I mean, I like both, but uh, I just think I think I think Michael is the the greatest of all time. So absolutely, I would take Michael Jordan. All right. What about, would you rather have a championship ring or an MVP trophy from a player's perspective? I would rather have a championship ring. Uh, It's just who I am. I I think it's all about team. And and I'm very fortunate. uh, Back in 1982, uh, my Division III team at Wabash, we won the D3 championship. And so I know what it's like to be a part of a championship team. Believe me, I was a very valuable reserve on that team. 
Um, I was a bit player. I was a role player. But I, I think anybody, the goal when you're we're also talking team sports, right? If you're, if you're a golfer, it's just about you. But if, if you're a member of a team and you win a title, I think that supersedes anything else you've ever done. All right. And then the final question, would you rather have a center who leads the league in assists or a point guard who leads the league in blocks? (laughs) Um, I think I'd rather have a center who leads the league in assists. Um, I think about uh, DeMontis Sabonis, uh, Jokic, uh, Domas's dad, Arvidas, was a tremendous center. I love having big men who could pass, so I think I'd go with the big man. I don't care. I don't care if a guard blocks shots. I don't care. <laughs> well, Chris, we just—it's been an honor to have you here. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap things up on our end. I really in, enjoyed it, guys. Um, you know, any way I can help uh, anybody who's listening that is interested in broadcasting uh, or being a part of a a professional team. Believe me, it's the best job I've ever had in my life. I appreciate it every day and uh, look forward to doing it for many more years to come. All right. Well, it's been awesome having uh, Chris Denary here on the podcast. Uh, and for all of you Pacers fans, I hope this gave you a little inside look on how your team is doing from uh, someone who sits on the sideline and kind of does the announcing um, game in and game out, or rather game home and game away. Um, and for those who aren't Pacers fans, maybe you're Pacers fans now. But anyway, for, um, for Nick and for me, this is uh, Cardboard Box Seats, and we'll see you next episode.